Thank you so much for having me back. It seems like just half an hour ago that I was here. Uh, enjoying fellowship with you and, and worshipping with you, but it is a great privilege. In the earlier meeting, I did talk a little bit about some of the connections, but I'll leave those out because I ran out of time. So I'll leave that bit out. No jokes about Wales, Simon. We'll have to leave all that out and just, uh, just go on with it. Um, but I will, say, I will say, it was mentioned, it, one of the connections is that, uh, Colin did say earlier that uh, for a while, um, we lived across the road from Simon and Fiona. Uh, but it was really funny, because they heard we were moving in, and they scarped off to India. It was like word, word hit the street that the Edmonds were coming, so the Turners went, we're off. And then they came back from India, and word hit the street they were coming back, so we went. And we moved. Well, no, we had six months overlap, didn't we, just about, which was fantastic. Uh, so um, there was more to that story, you see, than hits the eye. So this, after, uh, this morning, this afternoon, yes, afternoon, we're in Jonah chapter 2. It's all right, I feel safe now. Two services on a Sunday, one in the morning, one in the afternoon. That's kosher, we're all right. So um, I've got, I got another one later, different sermon, that's all right. So um, uh, Jonah chapter 2, you started a journey through Jonah. Je suis Jonah, I saw on the notice sheet. And chapter 1, you're looking at last, last week, we're going to look at chapter 2 today. I'm going to read from chapter 1, verse 17, through to chapter 2. The end of chapter 2 is up on the screens, uh, as well as I'll read it to you. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me, the deeps surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head, to the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord, my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. If this chapter of God's word is about anything for us today, then it's about God's love for his children. A love that's relentless. A love that pursues us. A love which never lets go. A love about which you could say that you can run from God but you can't hide. His love burns like a fire towards his children and he will never give up on you. And that's in some ways uh, the, the big heart of Jonah chapter two. It's part of the whole of the book of Jonah really, God's relentless love. The whole book is about God's relentless love for a lost and broken world, for the Ninevites. This chapter is about God's relentless love for those who are his, 
who belong to him through faith in the God of covenant promises. So even if some of the other stuff that I've got to say this morning gets lost somewhere uh, in your mind and heart, maybe that's something that God will just impress upon you by his spirit this morning. That if you are his, he loves you intensely as a father. He will not give up on that love. He is relentless in that love. And you matter so much to him in his love that he will not give up on you until he has you close to his heart and close in his presence. I hope you'll see that as we look through this story together. Uh, Jonah, as the story starts in chapter 2, is inside this big fish. And in the belly of this big fish, he looks back on his recent experience and writes for us, well, composes, I guess, in his head. I don't suppose he had paper and pen in the belly of it. I was thinking about that earlier when I was speaking. I think, I'm sure he didn't. He probably didn't have an iPad either. But uh, he composes a song which later he puts into print so that it's kept for us to read. And he reflects back on what's happened to him and wants to sing his song of praise and prayer. So let's, uh, let's look at this song that he wrote in the belly of the fish. And we're going to think firstly, just to set the scene, about going down Jonah's fishy tale of disaster. Just to paint the picture that he paints for us. Jonah tells us here in this song that having been thrown overboard by the sailors, there's a bit of scene setting, chapter 1, verse 15, with the whole of chapter 1 lying behind it, then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm, and it grew calm for them, but it didn't grow calm for Jonah. Presumably their little boat sailed on into, into the calm, but Jonah tells us that he found himself in a very dangerous set of waters. Chapter 2, verse 3, you hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. He describes uh, currents that were too strong to be resisted, waves which crashed in upon him, breakers that broke across him. He was in a storm. The boat had sailed away and was in the calm, but Jonah was in the storm and in the sea. And what he tells us is that he wasn't strong enough to keep his head above the waters. And soon, verse 5, he was engulfed by the waters. His head, we're told, in this little song, verse 5, was uh, completely engulfed by seaweed. And he finds himself being dragged down through the water, unable to swim his way back up to the surface. He talks about going down into the roots of the mountain, verse 6, and into the depths of the grave, verse 2. It's a really scary experience. As you read this, it just brings to your mind, what must it be like uh, to drown? How long can, can you hold your breath underwater? Not that long, I guess. Um, we were talking earlier about how when we were kids, we used to have competitions to see who could hold their breath for the longest under the water. When my son was little and we used to go on holiday, we used to do that together. Of course, you have to remember the danger of this game is that you can black out. <laughs> so you do have to just watch out um, after a while and panic and stop it. But I guess you know, some of us can probably... 
uh, do it for quite a while. If there's any trumpeters here this morning, I guess trumpeters have got pretty good lungs, haven't they? Uh, and singers, you know, singing exercises, you probably hold your, vet, your breath for longer, but come on, guys. Not for long enough to survive the waves and the breakers and the seaweed dragging you down. And just, just how scary must it have been for Jonah? How, how scary is it to realize that you're about to drown to death? He realizes that he's near death. He says at the beginning of the song in verse 2 that he is heading towards the realm of the dead. And in verse 6, he speaks about being buried at sea. He is in the pits of the sea. His life, verse 7, was ebbing away. So he's reflecting back. His life, as it were, passing before his eyes. His recent experience as he finds himself in this uh, horrendous situation. How did he get there? Why was he in this situation? Well, we got the story for us here recorded in Jonah chapter 1. And uh, you were thinking about it last week. Uh, you can review it again another time. But the, but the outline of the story was that he'd, he was running away from God. God had given him a job to do. Jonah didn't fancy it. And so he ran away. And he jumped into a boat to sail as far away as he possibly could from the place that God had spoken to him. So he was running away, he got into this boat, and he was sailing far away, and as he was sailing far away, down in the depths of this boat, a storm had brewed around the boat. And the soldiers, uh, the sailors in the boat, being good pagans, decided that they would cast lots in order to find out who the gods would finger as the culprit that was bringing this disaster. Yeah, they threw the dice, they threw the lot, whatever. And whoa, lo and behold, the lot fell on Jonah. And so after a bit of discussion, it's agreed amongst everyone that Jonah is the culprit. Chapter 1 tells a bit more of the story. We don't need to, to look at all the details. And the conclusion is Jonah needs to be thrown overboard. And so the sailors throw him into the sea. So how did Jonah get into this situation where he is drink, drifting down to the depths of the sea, facing imminent death? Well, the answer is, it was the sailors what done for him. That's why he is where he is. The sailors threw him into the sea. The text is quite clear. Chapter 1, verse 15, they threw him overboard. But that's not how Jonah saw it, as he reflects back on his experience. As Jonah sank beneath the waves, as he was actually sinking, because this song that he's recorded for us is a song that, in a sense, he composed while he was in the water. Now, I think that's pretty clever. Again, I've been thinking about this during this morning, that this guy, while he's sinking down, while the sea was wrapped around his head, while he's heading for imminent death, is in his head actually processing the whole experience. And he's thinking about, why am I here? Why is this happening to me? Why all this trouble? Why am I facing imminent death? And his conclusion is not, it was the sailors what done it. No, his conclusion's really interesting. His conclusion is that this was God at work. So if we started by going down and thinking about Jonah's fishy tale of disaster, let's look in at the heart of this and look up. 
and see God's gracious hand of discipline. Notice what Jonah says, verse 3, as he prays this song of prayer of praise to God. You hurled me into the depths. See that in verse 3? You hurled me into the depths. And verse 3 again, all your waves and breakers swept over me. It's a remarkable thing that Jonah says, something that he concluded as he was sinking down through the water. Yeah, the the sailors threw him overboard, but as he thinks about it, he sees in the hands of the sailors the hand of his God and his Father. You threw me into the sea. And as he sees or feels and experiences the, the waves smashing over him, and then as he sinks down under these breakers towards the depth, he speaks about, these, God, these are your waves and these are your breakers. Jonah felt that God was at work behind the scenes of this disaster. And as he thinks about it, he realizes that as God is at work, in the hands of the sailors throwing him into the sea, and in the waves and the breakers and the currents and the seaweed, and everything that's dragging him down to imminent death, that God has a goal. God's up to something here. And he talks about it in verse 4. He said, I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. In those few moments, as as his experience is, is rushing through his mind, he sees God's hand at work. And he says, God, you are up to something. I ran away. I was banished from your presence. I'd locked myself in this little room at the bottom of this boat, heading miles away from you. But you intend to bring me back. And there's no doubt about it. I will. I will be back in your presence. I will come back to you. It's an amazing statement. I think we see something about God here that that is amazing. This relentless love of God for his children. There's loads about God that Jonah understood. We know that from the letter, from this book. He tells us at the end of the book that God is compassionate and gracious. It's one of his complaints about God. He thought that the Ninevites deserved a good shoeing. And he says, I knew what you'd be like. You know, if it was left to me, I would just obliterate them and wipe them off the face of the earth. But I know what you're like, God. I knew you were the sort of God who the moment you just saw a little tiny flinch of turning towards you, you'd be rushing in there, forgiving them, being gracious, being compassionate, blessing them. I knew that. And I wasn't willing to risk that because I got a reputation to keep. I'm a prophet. When I say stuff, it happens. So if I say judgment's coming, judgment comes. And I've just got this sneaky feeling that I'm going to look like a complete twit because I'm going to make my prophetic statements and then they're going to just, there's just going to be a turning. Whoa, I'm not having that. But he knew what God was like. He knew that God was gracious and compassionate. He knew that God's love was relentless. And as he's sinking down under the sea, having tried, having tried to run away from God, well, having run away from God, he goes, God, this is you, isn't it? They were your hands that threw me into sea. These are your breakers that are washing me down to the depths of the grave. You're after me. And you want me back. And I will come back into your presence. That's what God is like. This is what our God is like towards his children. He is a father who loves us when we run away. 
He is a father who is not content to say to us, you made your bed, you lie in it. You know, some parents are like that. Some dads are like that, sadly. That when their kids go through rebellious stages, difficult times, they just say, you made your bed, you lie in it. Out you go. Over the years, I've seen teenagers kicked out of their homes. I've seen parents who've disowned their kids because their kids got involved in stealing or in drugs. And instead of reaching out to them and saying, we're here for you, we're always here for you, we'll come after you wherever we need to come after you, I've seen parents who said, you're not my son, you're not my daughter. But the God of the Bible isn't like that. (laughs) And Jonah knew that. God is relentless in his love and he was pursuing his wayward child with love and compassion. And we might not think that sinking beneath the waves is very loving. But would it have been loving if God had just said, okay, Jonah, you don't want to know me. I know you're my child, but you made your bed, you lie in it. Off you go. Never see you again. It's not what God's like. Jonah knew that. Your waves, your breakers, your hand. God doesn't give up until he brings his children back. And if it takes even trial and danger to do that, God will do it. In Hebrews, a New Testament letter, the writer says God disciplines those he loves. He says if, if, if you've got a dad who's never disciplined you, then you haven't really got a dad. It's a human illustration he uses. And he says, and that's why God is better than any dad on the world. And he'll discipline you to bring you back. That's how much he loves you. That's how much he wants you. He'll do whatever it takes to win you back when you've gone wandering away. I was sharing with the guys earlier a story about my dad uh, and um, with my sister, who was a bit of a rebel. And uh, there was one night I was sharing earlier where she'd gone off with a mate. She was a teenager, and she'd gone off drinking downtown. And uh, she didn't appear at curfew time. She didn't appear for some time after that. So what did my dad do? He went out and he scoured the streets of our city until he found her. And he brought her back, carried her. <laughs> and then he cleaned up the sick that she had vomited onto the floor in the hallway afterwards. And for a few years, he just relentlessly pursued his daughter My sister's just great now. She's sorted. She's a teacher and she's a Christian. And we weren't a Christian family. But my dad showed me something then, which when I became a Christian, I understood about God. My dad, for, for, for all his faults he did have, reflected something that I see even more beautifully and gloriously in God, my father. A God who loves me enough to come after me. And if he needs to discipline me to do that, he will do it. But he only disciplines out of compassion and love because he wants us back. As Jonah said, I was banished. (laughs) But I will. I will look again to your temple. I will return. And Jonah's response, when he twigs, when he realizes that this is God's hand, his response is the response of a believer facing trial and difficulty. Chapter 2, verse 1. In my distress, I called to the Lord. In chapter 2, verse 7, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. And my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. I think when, when we face, when we, when we get to a point in our lives when perhaps we wake up and realize that God is after us in discipline, we face a choice. We can choose to carry on running away from him 
or we can run to him. Now Jonah, I think here in verse 8 and verse 9, ponders that choice. He says, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them, but I with shouts of grateful praise will sacrifice to you. Now you might say, cling to worthless idols, surely he's not talking about himself. Well, I, I want to suggest he was. Because idols aren't just little statues and things that some people will set up to worship. Idols are anything in our hearts that we love more than God. Anything that matters more to us than God. And Jonah had loads of idols in his life. Why did he run away in the first place? He ran away because God threatened his idols. He, he, God, God threatened his little theological framework that said the Ninevites deserve a good kicking. It threatened that. And that was uncomfortable for Jonah. He got really grumpy about it. Chapter 4, it, it's his chapter 4, isn't it? Last chapter, yeah. Chapter 4 is really exciting. Chapter 3 and 4 are the turn there when Jonah gets the hump and gets really grumpy with God. And he has to learn the lesson that his little theological framework was wrong. God is gracious and compassionate. He goes after the most rebellious unbelievers in order to win their hearts. So that was his theological framework being challenged, but also his whole reputation was being challenged. I don't think you can avoid that in the story. Jonah's angry because he's got to go and preach judgment. God doesn't even allow him to preach grace. He's got to preach judgment, and he knows exactly what's going to happen. We were talking about it a moment ago. And that means his reputation's going to go up in flames, whatever reputation he had. And there's other stuff going. These are idols that he treasured. And so he ran away from God rather than give up his idols. And he's facing this choice. I could keep holding on to my idols. Of course, if he holds on to his idols, he will run away from the love of his father. And that's a choice we face when we realize that God's after us in love and compassion to win us back, disciplining us, bringing us difficulties and trials in our lives because of choices, unwise choices we've made where we've chosen to walk away from him. We, we do face a choice. Will I let go of the idols that may be run from God in the first place? And run to, or, or will I run to God? And Jonah says, if you choose to cling to your idols, you, you, you just turn, run away from the, from the love of God, which could be yours. Or you can choose to run to God, verse 9. This is what Jonah chose, to run to God, believing that he's a good father, a good, good father. That he is the God who our Lord Jesus Christ spoke about in that story who when his wayward son returns to him, runs to meet him, runs to embrace him, runs to party with him. That's what our God's like. Jonah believed that. And so he ran to, he left his idols, he let go of them and ran back to God, metaphorically, because actually he was drowning. But he ran back to God. And you and I face that choice, I think, in our lives and we need to let God speak into our circumstances. And if you realize that there are things in your life that are God's gracious hand of trial and difficulty because you know, you know that you have chosen to run away from him, then you face a choice today. Will you run to God or will you run away? God wants you back. That's what Jonah knew. I was banished, but I will return. God wanted him back, and he wants you back. God is full of mercy 
and compassion, and there is acceptance, full and free acceptance, for the wanderer who returns to the Lord. As we'll see, as thirdly, we look at speaking out Jonah's joyful return to faith, because God shows that he has accepted Jonah and his repentance with a miraculous provision of a big fish to swallow him up. Now when you read the story of Jonah, you might not see the big fish in those ways. But basically this fish is Jonah's savior. (laughs) Because he was gonna die. (laughs) He realizes this is God's hand of discipline and he cries to the Lord so God sends him a miraculous fish. By miraculous, I don't mean it's not real. I mean, it, I mean the fact that it was there at that moment in time to gobble him up inside his belly. And uh, you know, it's just every time I think of this, I, it just excites me so much. In the Old Testament, there are loads of pictures of Jesus, types of Jesus. And I think this has got to be one of the best. <laughs> you know, Jesus is like a big fish who when you're sinking in the depths because you've been running away from God, comes along and swallows you up so that you're safe and then vomits you back onto dry ground to get on with living for him. Now that might not appeal to you, you might not have as warped a mind as mine, but I just think that's a super, you know, you you might prefer Joseph or, or I don't know, David is one of the types. But I just love the vomiting fish because that's just what Jesus did for me and keeps on doing for me when I wander away from him or arrogantly rebel against him and realize, come to my senses and cry out to him, he keeps on rescuing me (laughs) and then putting me back onto dry land to get on with living for him. So it's really exciting, I think, that God, it's it's, it's the same sort of thing as the father running to embrace the prodigal son. The father sends his fish to rescue him from drowning. And it's great as well, the way that verse 10 says, uh, the way it says that um, the Lord sent the fish at the beginning of the story to swallow him up. It's great. So, um, where do we get to? And we got to there. Yeah, okay. So, um, he's drowning, he's about to die, he realizes he comes to his terms, and uh, yeah, God's right. He's got no doubt about that. Jonah's quite clear that that's exactly what's happened. God has rescued him. God has sent a savior to to deliver him, a big fish to swallow him up. Uh, So here he is. He's he's come to his senses. He's repented. He's uh, turned to God. He's been rescued. He's sitting in the belly of the fish. He's composing his little song. What is is there to do (laughs) when you realize that God has saved you, or whether he's rescued you again, from your wandering and your backsliding, when you realize that he's forgiven you and he's, he's blessed you with salvation, what's the right response? Three things that you see in verse nine. I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed, I will make good, I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And we've got three things here. We've got a shout of grateful praise, we've got a sacrifice, and we've got a vow. So we've got a song and a sacrifice and service. Three responses of a heart that knows it's been restored to the living God. Uh, There's this singing, I will shout with grateful praise. 
when you know that God has accepted you and forgiven you and rescued you from your sin, whether for the first time, when for the first time, like the Ninevites at the end of the story, you come to faith in this God, or for the nth time, when you've walked away from him and he graciously has come out after you as a father and brought you back to himself, when you know that even though you don't deserve it, he has smiled on you and forgiven you and is on your side and for you, there, the, the natural reaction of the heart is to shout with grateful praise, to sing a song. Why are Christians praising people? Why do we love to sing a song? Because we know that we have been rescued. And we know what we've been rescued from. And when, as God's people, we find our song is dull, perhaps it's because we have forgotten, or perhaps because it's because we're running away and we haven't yet woken up to that fact. History's full of it, isn't it? All these periods in church history where there have been explosions, fresh explosions of song and praise amongst the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, almost invariably have been times when God's people have rediscovered the wonder of what it means to be a restored and forgiven sinner. And Jonah sets the pattern. I will shout with grateful praise. And then I will sacrifice to you. I just love this sense of sacrifice. Jonah is putting everything back on the altar. You see, there was a load of stuff that Jonah was keeping off the altar. You know, that's, that's why he ran away, ran away, because there was stuff in his life he wasn't going to put on the altar. God said, lay it all on the altar, Jonah. Do what I say. I want you to go and preach. And he's got all this sneaky feeling that God's going to forgive the Ninevites and all the rest of it. And God says, lay it on the altar, Jonah. Give me everything. Give me yourself. Go and do this. Maybe he was scared. Nineveh's a pretty scary city, apparently, if you read the historical records. I wouldn't want to go and visit that. Um, but now, now, there's a sacrifice to make. Everything back on the altar. And when you know that God has forgiven you, this is, this is what, what more can you do? Everything on the altar, Jesus, all for you. And sometimes we need to be woken up to that. This is what he's done for me. Jesus, everything, all for you. We hold stuff back all the time. And Jesus says, give it to me. Lay it on the altar. I died for you. I've rescued you. I've... you know, how many times? How many times have I come to you? The father, well, he doesn't, never speaks like that because he's so gracious. But if it was me, I'd be saying, how many, how many times? How many times have I restored you? How many times have I forgiven you? I'm always there, always smiling. Every time you mess up and you turn back, I go, it's okay, it's sorted. Welcome back. Will you hold anything back from me? I will sacrifice, Jonah says. I will make that symbolic sacrifice that speaks of a life laid down for you, all for you, Jesus. And a vow to keep. Service. We know what the vow was. It's pretty clear. Chapter 3 unfolds. The word of the Lord comes a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeys. So you can see what was going on in the water as he's going down. He's crying out to the Lord, Lord, I realize it was your hand that threw me into the sea. It's your waves that are breaking over me. You want me back. I want to come back. I want to come back. And when I come back, you've got everything, Jesus. Everything, Lord. Everything's yours. So next time you speak to me, I'll do it. 
Now, I think it's, um, it's great that God came with the same message. He didn't push him a bit further. He just gave him the same message again. And Jonah went. So that was his vow, to serve the Lord. And when, when God touches our lives and we know exactly what it is, that we've, why we've been running away from God, the, one of the first things we need to do is put that right. <laughs> now, after that, it might be that God comes and says, okay, now we're talking. <laughs> now, now that you're with me, now that we're walking back in relationship, there's other stuff I want you to do. But the first place to start is the stuff that God has asked you to do. And I, it's just great. Jonah gets on. And does it. And he's still Jonah, and he's still a bit of a grumpy git at the end of the story. And, you know, he's still human. Uh, so, you know, this isn't about some experience where suddenly you're instantly holy forever. You know, Jonah still had all sorts of faults and struggles, and God kept on sorting him out, kept on loving him. That's a great thing about being a Christian, is, you know, it's a journey, and God keeps forgiving, keeps being gracious. And so he, um, he makes his vow. And goes. So here he is, Jonah. The song has been sung. The sinner has been restored. God's restoration is complete. There's only one thing that needs to happen. It happens in verse 10. And the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Job done. Jonah, get on with life. He is restored. And he can walk again with his father and get on with what his father wants him to do. It's a great story of God's relentless love, which pursues us. And through his word, God wants to touch our hearts and seek us. So we're gonna seek to respond to the Lord and his word, and uh, I've been chatting with the guys, and uh, what I'd like us to do to allow us to respond back, if I could ask the band to come back and join us, if there's any band left. And I'm going to invite you in a moment to stand as the band uh, plays some music for us. And um, I think there's stuff that God would speak into our lives. It might be that those in leadership here at Gateway have other stuff that they think God wants to speak into our lives. There's some stuff I think flows out from this. To give opportunity for you to respond to God. Uh, there's, there's prayer teams available at Gateway. If you're new to the church, then there are folks who have trained and equipped uh, and ready to pray with you, gifted to do that. There are others who have other, other Holy Spirit-given ministries to share with us. So can I invite you to, to stand with me? And let's, do, let's open ourselves to God to take this word. We, we don't want this morning, do we, this just to be... You know, <laughs> nice sermon, vicar. Uh, what's the point, you know? God wants to do business with you and with me. So uh, let's open our hearts. I invite God to come by his spirit and work in us. And then um, I, I've got a few things I might sort of speak out over us to encourage you to respond. But if any of you guys in leadership here want to feel there's something that the Lord would say, then you, you know, come and take over. But um, let's just um, invite the Lord in, into our presence. Lord, you, we believe your word is true and it's for a reason. It's for a moment to speak to us. It's not just an old word, it's a living word. And so we pray that you come by your Holy Spirit and minister to us. Uh, you know what we need to hear this morning. Make us willing, Lord. Knock down the resistance and help us to hear from you that we might receive from you the good things that you want to do to us. So here we are, Lord, in your presence and we ask Holy Spirit, come and minister to us.
If you're here this morning and um, you're aware that, that you're, the, you're the Jonah and that you've been running away from God, maybe this morning you've heard his voice, the Father's voice saying, learn from Jonah and come back to me today. I'm wait- I, I, want, I want you back in my presence. Come today. and It'd be great. The guys would love to pray with you if that's you. So um, you can you know, raise a hand or, or seek out someone on the prayer team. Just come to the aisles so that they can pray with you. But don't put it off. Don't... Don't push God to the limits. He, he loves you. He, he will relentlessly come after you. And this morning, he's chosen a moment to speak into your life. So I just encourage you to, to come to him if that's you. This story encourages us if we've got loved ones who are Jonah's. God's arm is not so short that it can't reach and bring them back. I want to encourage you just as we're here together to pray out, speak out for those people. Raise your voice where you are. If you've got a Jonah, if you've got a son or a daughter or a husband or a wife or somebody in your family who's a Jonah and you want them to be reached, then speak out for them.